Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. Good morning to you. This is Mike Smith, and we start this morning with the uproar in Ottawa over the prison transfer for Paul Bernardo. He's probably the most reviled and notorious prisoner in Canada, the sadistic serial killer who tortured and killed teenagers Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French in the 1990s. These are among the most vile and disgusting crimes we've seen in Canada. He was also the serial rapist known as the, the Scarborough Rapist who terrorized women in suburban Toronto. And it, it's disturbing to even have to mention the name of this person. This is a type of evil criminal who should just be locked up for life and we never have to hear about him ever again. Instead, here we go again now with this latest shocking revelation that Bernardo was transferred from a maximum security jail, Millhaven Institution, into a medium security prison where he has more freedoms and liberties. Are you kidding me? This is just an uproar in Ottawa over this now, especially with the public safety minister, Marco Mendicino. What did he know about this? When did he know it? What actions did he take, if anything, to stop it? Got Tony Baldinelli standing by, Conservative MP. First, let's have a little listen to the House of Commons yesterday. Here is the opposition leader, Conservative leader Pierre Polyev. Canadian women have to relive the traumatization of hearing Paul Bernardo's name. They all remember his horrific and monstrous crimes. They learned that this government decided to free this monster from maximum security prison and allow him to go to medium security where he'd be able to interact with other people, have visitors and enjoy other liberties. Now this minister claimed this was all a big surprise to him. So will he do the only honorable thing that is left for him to do and resign? Okay, let's listen to a part of the response here. Public safety minister Marco Mendicino. I took immediate action expressing the concerns of the families of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French. Okay, let's discuss now with my guest, Tony Baldinelli, Conservative MP for Niagara Falls in Ontario. I'm very pleased to welcome him. Tony, thank you very much for coming on today. Tony, can you hear me okay? Yeah, can you hear me? Okay, yeah, we got you now. Thank you very much for doing this. First of all, before we get into what you would like to see done here, and we'll talk, we'll talk about some of the measures that you have suggested here. What can you say, first of all, about the fact that we, we have, we're talking about this evil person again? I mean, every time the, the families of these victims just become victimized all over again when, when this stuff happens, you know, the parole hearings that come up, and now this shocking revelation that this guy was transferred to a medium-secure prison. What can, what can you say, first of all, about when, what went through your mind when you heard about this? shock and horror. I mean, basically from our community where these horrendous uh, crimes were committed, uh, Paul Bernardo, that name is synonymous with evil to us in our community. And when that decision was made, I mean, shock. I mean, and since that time, Canadians have just been sharing with us their frustration and palpable anger with a justice system and a correction system, you know, they feel is out of balance. You know, and that recent decision 
uh, of transferring Paul Bernardo into a medium security facility is, is just galvanize them into wanting us see, uh, to see us take actions to correct this and to protect society. And that's why I was pleased to table my private members bill yesterday afternoon to kind of address this. Yeah. Okay. I want to get into that right with you here. Where is this guy now? Like he was in Millhaven Institution, transferred to this medium security facility in Quebec. Is that where he still is? Is he still in this medium security jail? That's my understanding. Yes. Oh man. Why is right? that being Why is that being tolerated? Like you'd think he'd be moved right back into maximum security as soon as this story broke. Well, and, and that's the thing. The minister, through his powers, has that power to talk to the officials at Correctional Services, to order that review, to, 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 to see that uh, changes be taken. Uh, he has yeah. the authority to issue direction to, uh, you know, to correction. He has the power to make regulations regarding the, you know, the, the incarceration of prisoners. And he failed on that. And yeah. even worse... He failed to know that he, he of of this taking place at all. I mean, it stretches the bounds of credibility, Mike, where you have uh, Christians saying they, they let the minister's office know in March. They let the prime minister's office know in March. And then yeah. no one told the minister. I mean, it's yeah. impossible to believe. I mean, no one's been fired. I mean, it's almost like a bad episode of the, you know, the British comedy, Yes, Minister. Like, how inept do you have to be if you believe them that the staff doesn't even trust the minister to brief them? Yeah, I mean, he's basically throwing his staff under the bus here saying, well, they didn't tell me. I didn't know about this. But like you said, it's like it's not like there's been any accountability here. Like, no one's been fired no. for that, right? No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and it stretches the bounds of credibility. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, I mean, and then you find out, I think the prime minister said he found out the day before uh, the transfer. And then the, the minister saying he found out the day of, I mean, yeah. like, again, like what's going on? I yeah. mean, that's why, I mean, and here's the other aspect to it. They knew, I mean, this feigned shock and horror from the prime minister and the minister of public safety. Think about this. They changed the law in 2019 through a bill, C-83, which changed the, the act. I mean, uh, you know, getting out of a, ma a maximum security pr uh, prison became softer because of legislation such as that, which required prison selection to be made based on giving inmates the least restrictive environment possible. So think about that. So they knew this was going to happen because of that legislation. They knew it. So they can't go about now saying, oh, we're shocked and surprised. Yeah. Their legislation is the result of this. Let's listen to a little bit more of the opposition leader in the House of Commons on this precise point here. Here's Pierre Polyev talking about who knew what when. Let's listen. He expects us to believe that his staff just forgot to walk down the hall and inform him that perhaps the most notorious killer in Canadian history was being moved out of a maximum security penitentiary to enjoy more luxuries and more freedoms in a medium security penitentiary. Yeah, I mean, this is the point that this is probably the most notorious prisoner in Canada. Would yeah. you say, would you say, Tony, so how, you know, how could the staff get briefed and say, okay, we're moving this guy to a, a lower security prison and not think that the minister should be responsible for that. And now, as you mentioned, now we're learning that Justin Trudeau's office was aware of this very early on, too, and nothing happened. Your thoughts? And, and, and nothing happened. Again, it yeah. stretches the bound of credibility that, to, 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 to think, given the profile and the individual. Yeah. 
that no one was told in the prime minister's office directly or the minister directly. I mean, you simply almost it's hard to believe. And if it is, like I said, it's it's reminiscent of that British comedy. Yes, minister, thinking that the minister is so inept that you can't tell him. Okay, let's talk about your private members, Bill, because you have suggested that when we have a, a notorious serial killer here, like a mass murderer, that it should be a no-brainer. They are kept in maximum security prison, period. So this was discussed in question period yesterday in in the House of Commons, too. Let's briefly listen to that, and then I'll get your thoughts. So this is Pierre Pauly of the Conservative leader here facing off against the public safety minister, Marco Mendocino. He has the power now to designate mass murderers all to go into maximum security prisons. The leader of the Conservative Party of Canada lays out a prescription for political interference, which foreshadows what Canadians would get with a Conservative government. Okay, okay, so he is saying there, Tony, well, if you keep these mass murderers, if if I as the minister tell the prison system, you got to keep these mass murderers locked up in maximum security that that is political government interference into the justice system. What do you think of that? Well, like I said, the the minister has the authority to issue directions to Corrections Canada, and he has the power to make regulations regarding the incarceration of prisoners. He has that power now, and and he's failed to use it. So, I mean, uh, from that standpoint, it is just a failure, again, of ministerial responsibility in this whole file. And that's why we're calling on him to resign. And so what we've also done is put forward my private member's bill, right, that will ensure that uh, multiple first-degree murderers and court-ordered dangerous offenders are given given a permanent maximum security classification and will repeal from that bill C-83, the Liberals passed in 2019, that least restrictive environment standard and restore the language of necessary restrictions that the previous government had put in place. And that's what my bill intends to do. And that's why I tabled it yesterday. It's in response to what has been happening here. And, you know, it's a response to what my community has been asking. But it's, it's addressing the concerns that all members of parliament and the calls from their constituents are now getting. It's, a, it's on us now to restore the trust and confidence back into our justice and correction system. This is about doing what is right. So let's get this implemented and fix that so that we don't have to go through this ever again. Now, why is that important to keep these, these criminals, these evil criminals locked up in maximum security? Like, what is the difference between maximum security and medium security where they transferred this guy? Well, maximum security uh, are designed to house inmates who present a greater threat to the safety of the public. And again, through this legislation and my proposed changes, it's designating those for maximum security as multiple first-degree murderers and those that are classified as dangerous offenders. So that would ensure that they are placed in a maximum security facility. Okay, last question for you, Tony. You mentioned that there are calls for the minister to resign here. Now we learn that the prime minister's office was also aware of this prisoner transfer very, very early on. Nothing got done. Why why do you think he's not going to resign? I mean, he's not going to give the opposition a trophy here. Why do you think he should resign? The minister? Yeah, yes. Just failure of his responsibility to run his department, to ensure that he lives up to his responsibility 
as Minister of Public Safety to see that issues impacting the public safety of Canadians is, is taken and seen through. I mean, okay. he's allowing his ignorance to, to be an excuse of somehow saying, I didn't know. Well, then, if you didn't know, what are you doing there? If you don't know, well, I hope somebody else can take on your position, and hopefully that'll be a conservative government to make the changes that you're unwilling to make. Okay, we're going to continue to follow the story closely. Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Mr. Smoothie, Mr. Smoothie, everything goes his way. Mr. Smoothie, Mr. Smoothie, always has a great day. Okay, here we go with how to get a great deal on a new or used vehicle. We got Zach Spencer, auto market expert, automotive journalist. Fo- follow him on YouTube, Motormouth Canada on YouTube. Nearly 300,000 subscribers on there. Zach, thank you for coming on. Mr. Smoothie himself. Thanks a lot for coming on today. I think that's uh, the work of Jeff Aldis at CKNW. Uh, we recorded that years ago. <laughs> that's funny. Thank you. And the Rush intro. I'm living the dream. Oh, you see, we wanted to, we want to keep you happy here because you're one of our favorite guests on the show. So we're giving you we're giving you both barrels here. We got Rush and we got Mr. Smoothie. Okay, Zach, let's talk cars here. So what is the market like out there? Because for a long time we heard about the shortage of new vehicles and it was exacerbating the supply of used vehicles too, right? Have things settled down out there in the market? Uh, not really. It's more of the same. Um, the the feedback we get from people shopping new is just total frustration. Any high-demand vehicle, people are putting their names on waiting lists and waiting and waiting and waiting. Uh, personally, we've ordered a new car, and uh, it's not our main car. It's sort of a secondary car, so we're just going to sit and wait for it to come in. Uh, the used market has drifted. I think the last time we talked about the used market, Mike, it was at the beginning of this year, and yeah. there was a bit of a decrease in the wholesale prices. That's what dealers pay at auction, and we saw it slowly drifting down, but uh, just looking at the information that I got just a day or so ago, and it seems to have leveled off. So, yeah, there's there's decreases. Uh, I don't think prices are going down. It's just the rate of inflation, the rate of change is leveled off. Okay, let's talk about buying a car, Zach. So what would be your sort of top tips if your people are going out there looking for a, a vehicle? Let's talk about a new vehicle, right? Like when you go onto that lot and now you're talking to the salesperson about an, a new vehicle, what, would, what should be top of mind? Well, the likelihood that you're going to be able to go onto a dealer lot and get a vehicle is highly unlikely unless you're shopping where people aren't looking. And that's one of my pieces of advice is everybody is racing towards, you know, compact utilities, the RAV4s, the CRVs of the world. That's what most people buy. It's 85% of the market is light-duty light utilities and pickup trucks. So maybe consider the good old family sedan. Um, mm. And the interesting thing about cars over uh, utilities is they're actually very comfortable. They're more fuel efficient in the light of $2.05 a liter here in Vancouver yesterday. Um, you get uh, often more rear seat legroom and a good sized trunk, and you don't have to maybe get a sedan. You could get a hatchback car, and they fulfill the needs for most people. And um, so, you know, shop where people aren't shopping might be a piece of advice. The other one is go in there and uh, 
put a deposit down and make sure it's 100% refundable. Make sure that's written on the agreement. If you've decided on a car, I'll use the best-selling car in Canada, passenger car. That's the Toyota RAV4. Say you go to a Toyota dealer, they don't have one. You say, I'd like to give you a deposit, $500, and then you say fully refundable, and you sit and wait. That's really the best thing to do. Okay, it's been so long since I bought a new vehicle, but do these when they still go in there, do they still give you sort of pressure sale to lot, uh, add on all these expensive options on the vehicle? Well, that's when the car arrives, okay? So okay. one thing, people are going to the dealership and they're saying there's no cars on the lot, which is true. What they don't see is that there are trucks arriving every week and cars are being delivered to people. So you might not see them on the lot because they're already sold. So they're rolling off the truck and really into somebody's driveway. So cars are coming. The second part of this is when the car arrives and then you get the uh, pressure tactics in the back room with the business manager. And the business (laughs) manager is gonna try and sell you rust proofing, uh, glass etching, uh, nitrogen in your tires, all of this stuff, and you don't need it, okay? I'm here to tell you there's a couple of things you might want to consider. Uh, some are like prepaid maintenance. You might want to consider if you're keeping the car or if you're leasing the car for three or four years that you prepay the maintenance. That way you don't have to worry. The problem you have with that is we're now looking at 8 9% interest rates. And if you add any of these packages to the bottom line of the car, you're paying interest on that and you might not use any of these services so always remember things like um, paint protection or interior protection you can get that done away from the dealer often cheaper and you might not even need it at all okay i love it that's some great advice there speaking to zach spencer motormouth canada on youtube all right how about buying a used car zach if you're buying a used vehicle should you get that vehicle inspected at a like an independent garage? Yes, absolutely. It's 100% on any vehicle, even if the car is six months old. Could have been in an accident. There's a couple of things you can do. You can get a Carfax report. That's C-A-R-F-A-X, Carfax. And that yeah. runs the vehicle identification number for uh, any time it's been in for a repair, uh, if there's been any claims on the car. You can also get the uh, vehicle identification number and get uh, to an ICBC, or you, I think you can call or do it online and find out the accident report. Um, often the, um, the Carfax will do that for you as well. Now, a used car lot pays a monthly fee to have a Carfax or they pay individually. So if you call a, a local used car lot and they have a car for sale, we'll pick a RAV4 again, it's a 2019 RAV4, uh, and you say, I'd like to see the Carfax. If they don't provide you with that Carfax report, move on. There's something that yeah. they're hiding. Uh, straight up car dealer, if there are any, um, will um, <laughs> will give you all of that information. I mean, there are. I joke. I mean, there are some yeah, that are right. excellent, but there are some that, that do car dealer stuff, and we've heard all the horror stories. So get a Carfax report, and then when you're really interested in the car, you can give a deposit, same thing, 100% refundable, and yeah. you say, I'm going to give you $500, but I want to get what's called a pre-purchase inspection, a PPI, and that dealer does not do the PPI. You insist that it goes to, if there's Bob's Honda, you want to send it to Larry's Honda and get Larry's Honda to do the pre-purchase inspection and make sure they're not owned by the same people. We have all these (laughs) dealer groups, right, that own multiple stores. 
So uh, you can do an independent mechanic. You can just make sure you do the pre-purchase inspection. That also gives you some uh, negotiating power. If there's uh, the tires are worn, uh, the muffler as a whole, you can go back and say, all right, let's work on the price now. Okay, how about if you're selling your own vehicle? Like, let's say you've got, you, you want to trade up into a newer vehicle, so you want to sell the, your current vehicle. Should you go through all the hassle of selling that vehicle private, privately, or do you go for the, the trade-in at, at the car lot? Because, I mean, you're getting better value to sell it on your own, are you not? Yeah, but you're also, when you do that, you're missing out on the tax difference. So when you trade a car, and we'll pick round numbers, okay? You're buying a used car, it's $20,000, and your car is worth ten. okay? If you trade it in, and they give you a $10,000 credit, then you're only paying tax on the difference, right? And that, that's sizable. So, um, <clears throat> so remember that you're, uh, excuse me, you're, you're paying uh, less tax if you do a trade-in. Now, if you pay, it depends on the age of the vehicle, how many miles, how much you're going to get for it. Sometimes if the car is only worth a few thousand dollars, it's worth it. The, the dealer doesn't want it anyway. Uh, they're not going to give you anything for it. You might just want to sell it privately. But um, you can also shop your trade-in. You can go back to Honda again or Toyota. You Say there's uh, you want a RAV4, you can go to three or four different dealers and see what they're willing to give you for their car. Trust me, they want good used cars. So if you have a good used car and not a, not a stinker, uh, then you're going to get some good money for it. So work with the dealer sometimes to get that trade-in to offset the taxes. That can be better than do, trying to do it on yourself. Nobody coming to your house, kicking your tires, all of that stuff. Now, it doesn't, yeah. sometimes it is worth to do it on your own, but you have to kind of know what you're doing. And a lot of women just don't feel comfortable with strange people coming and asking to take their car for a ride. Anyway, let's get serious. You want to buy this car one? Yeah, yeah, nay. Well, I don't know. We have to think about it. Yeah. What's there to think about? I mean, you told me you liked it. You asked me 10,000 questions. I answered every single one of them. You drove it. You love it. What more do you need to know? Uh, you know, it's a lot of money, and uh, we just need the time to consider it. Consider it? Yeah. Well, why don't you consider this? You've been breaking my balls for about an hour, asking me about every goddamn accessory in this car. Look, what about the light? What about this? You cannot what about talk this? to customers like that. You're not a customer as far as I'm concerned. You want to buy the car or not? Not from you. I want to see the manager. You want to see the manager? Yeah. Yeah? I'll show you the manager. <laughs> okay. A little Robert De Niro's best car salesman in the world there. Zach Spencer is my guest. Let's go right to your phone calls here. Glenn in Richmond. Hi, Glenn. Go ahead. Hi. Hi. Uh, go ahead. My, my, okay, my lease is up in September, and my buyout is about 18000 uh, the Honda Accord. Should I buy it out and sell it myself versus obviously just giving it back to the dealer, right? So. Yeah, this is always a tricky one. Zach, should he buy out the lease or what do you think? Okay, so there's going to be equity in the car because um, the lease you signed was three or four years ago, back when uh, the prices were lower. So depending on the condition of the car and how many miles you've gone on it, it should be worth more than that uh, buyout amount. So you have a couple of things you could do. You could buy it out and keep it. You could buy it out and then trade it in as a cash um, you know what I mean? Like uh, you're purchasing the next vehicle or you could work with the dealer and say, listen, hey, I'm interested in getting another Honda. I've got this car. I know there's equity in the car. Will you give will you put some of that equity towards 
uh, a new vehicle. Now, the one thing you've got to remember, you don't have to go back to the same dealer. You can go to another Honda dealer um, and see if they will work with you. So you have a few options. Buy the vehicle out, keep it. Buy the vehicle out, trade it in as a uh, down payment or work with the dealer and try and get some of that equity that's in the car. You can do the research yourself, go online, look at what the uh, year of the car is, how many kilometers are on it, and the condition and the same kind of trim and see what they're selling for. And then you can go in there and say, listen, the buyout's 18 grand, they're selling for 25. Let's work out a number here and get some of that equity into your new car. Okay, some great tips there. Star 9898 is the number to call Toll-free on your cell. Blake in the West End. Hi, Blake. Go ahead. Well, I learned two things yesterday. Thank goodness I learned a few things. Um, I was at the Mercedes-Benz dealership, and I um, saw they had Teslas there. And I said, well, what's the deal on these cars traded in already? And they said, well, if you buy it used, you don't have to pay the provincial sales tax. And I thought, my, that's a lot of money that you um, can save on that. And second thing is, my Mercedes-Benz is 2017 with 20, with 6,500 kilometers, and it took till yesterday for them to fix fix the, uh, the faults on it, uh, the steering, which keep on steering to go to the ditch. Mind you, I picked it up finally after all these years with uh-huh. parts and no charge. No charge. Oh, well, you got to love that. Okay, Blake, thank you for the call. Well, no sales tax, though, on a used vehicle, Zach? Is that? Yeah, that well, that's the incentive that the, the province has put in place for electric vehicles. So oh, you right. Get your, yeah. You get your EV rebate. Um, uh, so we're just paying more people to buy cars. That's, that's not <laughs> where I would spend the money. I would definitely be putting it into charging infrastructure. But hey, if they want to spend my tax dollars buying people cars, go for it. Okay, you don't. Okay, you're obviously not a fan of these big, generous rebates on EVs. No, and they totally skew the market. And what we have is mm. um, all kinds of distortions in the marketplace. We saw in the United States when Tesla ran out of its tax credits. They do tax credits; they're not rebates. When they ran out of their tax credits, General Motors ran out of their tax credits. Guess what they did? They dropped the price. So mm. uh, the doing it on the backs of people, um, the taxpayers, when there's demand for these vehicles. Um, you know, uh, if there, you cannot get a plug-in car in uh, Vancouver. You have to get on a waiting list to get one. The good news is Tesla's waiting list is shorter than the others. But there's a huge demand. Why are we paying people to buy a car when there's already demand for it? I yeah. want the manufacturers. I want the manufacturers to battle it out for my money. And how they do that is the best packaging and pricing. And when you have rebates, it skews the market. That's my thoughts on that. Well, yeah, I love it. I, I think you're, I think you're right on. When you start thinking about the demand for these vehicles, everybody wants these EVs, especially the plug-ins, like yeah, you said. And go I ahead. go to these um, major car events with these manufacturers, and they go, "Well, you know, British Columbia, they sell a lot of electric cars because of their zero emission uh, mandate." I said, "That's not because of zero emissions. I live in British Columbia. It's because gas is two dollars a liter." People are pragmatic. They're going and getting a new car. They want something that's more efficient than the old car. And that's really what it is. There is massive demand. Why we're, what we should do is have all of these car companies competing for your money, not resting on tax dollars. That's what I think. I agree with you. Ted and Kamloops. Ted, you got 30 seconds here. Go ahead. Hey, guys. I just want to know, like, do you have to pay MSRP on stuff or can you negotiate the price? They said you got to pay MSRP, but is there any movement on there? Okay, Zach, 30 seconds here. Go ahead. 
I would suggest if you can get MSRP, count yourself lucky. Uh, getting MSRP is tough. A lot of the dealers are doing all kinds of sneaky things and adding extra packages on cars like ceramic coating or roof racks or wraps or etching in the windows. And they say, well, that's $5,000 in extras. The car's here. Do you want it? And you say no. And you say, oh, well, we'll sell it to somebody else. So if you can get MSRP, count yourself lucky. Getting a discount, almost unheard of these days. Let's keep talking about this Surrey policing issue. Is today the day? Is this D-Day on this now? Decision day on policing in Surrey? Surrey City Council, they've called that emergency meeting of City Council in Surrey. It's happening this afternoon. Is this going to be a decision and a vote on the future of policing in the city of Surrey, it's Sergeant Darren Shepard standing by to discuss. First, have a listen to the mayor here, Brenda Locke, the mayor of Surrey. Now, remember, she is on Team RCMP. She wants to keep the Mounties in Surrey. They want to cancel this whole Surrey Police Service movement, stick with the Mounties. Remember what the province wants. The provincial government is pressuring the city of Surrey to go with the Surrey Police Service instead. Here's Brenda Locke. Have a listen to this. That is Surrey's choice to make. And Council made that decision. We made it five months ago, and our decision has not changed. Says the decision has not changed. They want to keep the Mounties. Well, we'll see if that changes this afternoon at this key meeting coming up here now. All right, let's discuss now with my guest, Darren Shepard. Darren is with the Surrey Police Service, the new municipal police force in Surrey. He's the director of the union at the Surrey Police Service. Very pleased to welcome him. Darren, thanks a lot for coming on today. Thank you for having me, Mike. You're welcome. Thank you for doing it. Darren, what is your understanding of this meeting this afternoon, this Surrey City Council meeting? What's going on there? Do you know what the agenda is there or what's happening there? Uh, no, we don't know the agenda. It hasn't been made public. It's uh, my understanding that it's an in-camera meeting. So I'm guessing that the agenda has been shared with the other councillors, but we don't have access to that. Okay, very, very interesting. What do you hope happens this afternoon? I hope that all the councillors, including Mayor Locke, have had the chance to, uh, after signing the NDA, have had the chance to review the unredacted reports. Um, We'll uh, take a very, um, uh, you know, substantial amount of time to consider all the facts that have been presented and we'll make the right decision and uh, vote to continue with the transition to the Surrey Police Service. Okay, why do you feel that way? Can you make the case for this municipal police force, the Surrey Police Service? Why do you think it should continue? Um, well, as a former member of the RCMP for 25 years, um, I've, and all my service being in the Lower Mainland, um, I recognize that uh, the RCMP policing model uh, doesn't work for a city the size of a large municipality, the size of Surrey. Um, the uh, Surrey Police Service will provide an element of local accountability that is missing from the RCMP. Uh, there are many, many wonderful members, hardworking members of the RCMP that go out, uh, in Surrey every day and do their absolute best. But the uh, amount of issues that face them in terms of the organizational structure of the RCMP really lets them down and uh, doesn't provide them with all the tools necessary uh, to police in an environment such as Surrey. So the local accountability uh, that we would provide um, would be uh, absolutely instrumental in improving the public safety within the, within the city. Darren, what would you say about the, the continuing uncertainty here over this issue and how that impacts like 
frontline rank and file police officers and you mentioned your service in the RCMP for many years I'm sure you have many friends over in the Surrey the Surrey Mounties and now you're at the Surrey Police Service I mean this has got to be this has got to be stressful no matter what uniform you're wearing is it not absolutely and there's enough stressors in in policing already we don't need this additional uh, uncertainty hanging over our heads and that goes for all as I said all the members of the RCMP that are over there as well um, they've had to put their careers on hold, essentially. Um, abilities to transfer outside of Surrey have uh, been halted for many while the um, Surrey RCMP tries to hold on to members uh, to bolster their numbers. So um, it's been tough for both sides. Um, again, a lot of our members came from either the RCMP or from places all across Canada. They've uh, decided you know, to come to Surrey to build something new. For many of them, they had been with the RCMP, they were from Surrey, they were posted to other locations across Canada and had the chance to come home uh, to police in the community where they grew up, where they want to raise their families, where they want to be involved in the community. Um, and they took that leap of faith to come join us. So it, it is incredibly stressful, not only for our members, but also for their respective families. And uh, we just want a, a resolution to this, a positive resolution for the Surrey Police Service so we can get on with the business that we were all joined to do, which is uh, serving our community. Speaking of Sergeant Darren Shepard, Surrey Police Service, he's the director of the Police Officers Union there. This is such a weird situation we have right now, Darren. We're effectively got two police forces. You got the RCMP in Surrey and you have the Surrey Police Service. How is how does that work right now? Like if, if someone if someone in Surrey phones nine one one and needs a police officer, who shows up? Does the RCMP get dispatched or do your people go out there? Like or how does that work? Under the current model, we are working uh, with the RCMP in command and control of the detachment, and our membership is working for them. Um, we are over 50% of frontline policing, so if somebody does call 911, uh, the odds are uh, that the uh, it'll be a Surrey Police Service member uh, showing up 50% um, of the time. So the uh, as we continue the transition, uh, there will become a, a point where we become the police of jurisdiction. Uh, we'll assume the command and control and that the RCMP will be seconded to us as the transition continues. So um, while we have not been allowed to deploy our marked police cars or anything else, uh, odds are if you get uh, if you pull up to a red light and you're beside a police car in the city of Surrey, uh, there's a pretty good chance it'll be an SPS member driving it. Oh, okay, even if it's an RCMP cruiser? That's correct. So we okay. have our own marked cruisers, and uh, they're ready wow. to go, but... Um, Again, that's part of the negotiations with the RCMP as to when we're allowed to deploy them. Yeah, yeah. One of the arguments here for uh, on the RCMP is Mike Farnworth, the Solicitor General, is, look, we don't want the RCMP in Surrey, if they're allowed to continue, we don't want them taking resources away from other RCMP detachments that are already short-staffed as it is in our province. But I I'm just wondering, doesn't the Surrey Police Service do the same thing like you mentioned you're a former rcmp officer like where are most of your officers come from aren't you guys sort of taking police away from other detachments and jurisdictions too uh to a certain degree yes and that's the policing environment that we're in right now however i think it's important to um also stress that we are hiring uh, not just from um, local municipal police forces or local rcmp detachments but provincially and in fact across Canada. So as I said earlier, uh, there's members that uh, joined the RCMP, people that grew up in the city of Surrey, 
still have family ties and roots here and wanted the chance to come home. Uh, perhaps they were posted to a uh, detachment in northern Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. Uh, this is an opportunity for them to return to the community that they want to serve in, to serve the people that uh, um, and raise their kids uh, in the environment where they grew up themselves. Uh, so we are hiring from uh, across Canada, so that will um, not destabilize uh, policing within the Lower Mainland or within the province of British yeah. Columbia. Let's talk a little bit about some of the money issues here, because one of the arguments for keeping the RCMP is RCMP supporters will argue, well, look, this is it's cheaper. It's cheaper to have the Mounties here than go with this new police service. The the what the counter argument to that? One of them from the province is, look, this Surrey Police Service yourself, your colleagues, if you wind this down, you shut this down, you lay all these police officers off, you get a pink slip and told that your services are no longer required, then you're in line for a severance payout. Correct? Like, would, would that severance be payable immediately? Um, well, the, that would all be a negotiation that would take place. And I will say to your comment about the RCMP being uh, cheaper, I would say, that there are some cost savings in certain areas, but those cost savings come with a cost themselves. So um, with a federal subsidy comes commitments to the federal government that they can take 10% of your resources. And if uh, Prime Minister Trudeau goes to Tofino uh, for a visit, then people that are VIP trained from Surrey go to Tofino with them to provide um, personal protection for the Prime Minister. Or if there's... Uh, incidents across Canada, Pope visit, the G20 comes to Toronto, you're losing local resources. So those those sub, uh, subsidies do come with a substantial cost, and I don't think a lot of people are aware of it. Um, but it does have a significant pull on the detachment and the resources. So, uh, And in terms of severance, yes, there is a severance that was negotiated um, with the uh, Surrey Police Board during our uh, collective agreement negotiations. Uh, that's simply a recognition, though, that many of our membership have 5, 10, 15, 20 years of service with other agencies. Uh, for them to uh, to come here, it was important to recognize their previous service in terms of uh, severance. And it's yeah. completely in line with uh, what somebody would expect having devoted their entire career to uh, to policing. So, um, yeah, it's... Uh, something that we won't need to use because uh, I do believe that the Surrey police transition will continue, but it is there as a, as a, a form of security for our membership. And it was important to us to make sure that they felt comfortable uh, leaving wherever they were coming from to come to us. Hey, Darren, last question for you. The union here that you're the director of this union for the Surrey police service, they have, you guys have filed a conflict of interest complaint against Surrey city councillor, Rob Stutt, he supports keeping the Mounties in Surrey. He, he had, what, what's his situation? He had two kids who work for the Mounties. Is that your concern? Yes. When we filed that complaint back in February when the information came to light, and we're now on the 15th of June without any resolution to it. My understanding is that uh, Councillor Stutt has not provided uh, a statement to the Ethics Commissioner yet. So we're looking at five months here uh, for a relatively straightforward investigation where uh, when we filed the complaint, uh, Councillor Stutt's son is a sworn member of the RCMP and is working in, in uh, Surrey to talk. And it's my understanding that his daughter is a City of Surrey employee who seconded to um, to the detachment and uh, his wife had recently retired from there as well. And as you said, he's a, a career RCMP member uh, who yeah. dedicated his life to that. And we just feel that the um, with all the facts, uh, 
that have been presented that it is clear that there is a conflict of interest, at least it's clear to us. Unfortunately, there has not been a resolution to that complaint, and uh, we're hopeful that uh, he will do the right thing and recuse himself, uh, recognizing that he is uh, uh, in a conflict of interest. Okay, we continue to follow that closely. Thank you for coming on with your thoughts on it today. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.